All righty, we have a great episode of Side Retired, the MLB podcast, continuing our top 10 series at each position. Today, we'll be breaking down center fields. So let's hit the intro music and we will get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan joined alongside Jack and Nico. And today, as we just teased, top 10 center fielders, unanimous one and two across the board, and then a lot of interesting guys in three through 10. Nico, Jack, how you guys doing? Wow. Doing silence. good, bro. Right. Can't complain. <laughs> doing good. Can't complain. Excited to talk about some center fielders. Absolutely. Uh, Nico, that's just a sign of in sync, uh, both pausing and then going at the same time. That, that's the pro. Um, yeah, I think we're going good. Let's go. Let's talk the uh, the premier speed power position in baseball. Very, very excited to get into it. Absolutely. So same format as always. Nico, just run through your 10 through one. Jack, run through your 10 through one. I'll do mine. And then we'll actually get into specific player breakdowns and everything fun to do with that. All right. So for me, I've got. Same one, too, as everyone else. I've got Mike Trout, probably the unanimous one in every baseball fan center fielders. I have Julio Rodriguez, two. Byron Buxton, three. Michael Harris, four. Brandon Nimmo at five. Luis Robert at six. Ryan Reynolds at seven. Cedric Mullins at eight. Harrison Bader at nine. And Mike Yastrzemski at ten. Jack, take it away. For me, I got, yeah, same one, two. Trout Rodriguez, then Michael Harris, Brandon Nimmo. Uh, Byron Buxton, Brian, Brian Reynolds, Harrison Bader, Luis Robert, Cedric Mullins, and then last, Dylan Carlson. And I've got Trout at one, Julio Rodriguez at two, Brandon Nimmo at three, Buxton, Harris, Brian Reynolds, Luis Robert. My unique name is Cody Bellinger at number eight, Cedric Mullins at nine, and Mike Yastrzemski at number 10. I think the question to all start off, Mike Trout is still considered the best, if not top two or three players in baseball. It's him, Otani, and Judge. Obviously, Julio Rodriguez had an amazing rookie season. Was there any consideration, either of your minds, and Nico, I'll come to you first, to put Rodriguez at two, at one, or was it clear, not even think about it, Mike Trout's the one, and then is J-Rod a clear two as well? Yeah, I think for me, Mike Trout's still the complete number one until further notice. I think the only thing that'll bring him to lower on the list will be just if they try and age him out of center field and he gets to 36, 35, and he starts regressing, or if they decide to prevent him from getting that old and keep his hitting by moving him to a corner outfield or designated hitter to save his back maybe. But until further notice, I think it's Mike Trout and then everyone else. Yeah. Same, same thought for me uh, as Nico, you know, you look at Mike Trout, I mean, offensively alone, since he's been like 22 years old after his first year in the major leagues, He's put up elite offensive numbers consistently with like somewhere in the range of a 160, 180 WRC plus, so like 60 to 80% better than league average, just outstanding offensive numbers. Plus he's had, you know, elite speed that's probably going to go down, um, going a downwards trend now for age, but he's still providing elite center field defense. So there is zero indication that he should be anywhere without, you know, the, the number one center field spot. The only concern being injuries. And, you know, while there is like a legit, um, you know, an affair, point to raise um trout you know for a fact if he does play even just 140 games maybe 130 he's going to finish top five at MVP. he's just been that consistent been that elite so as you said there's really no reason to move him out and j-rod well fantastic i think he provides a lot of complete tools 
Um, he showed immediate, uh, immediate improvement to his plate discipline, which was the one concern for him coming out of the minor leagues, lowering his chase rates. You know, he had some bad luck with umpires to begin the year, but still posted um, elite numbers in that regard and then put together a very strong um, batted ball profile and elite defense featuring, you know, the type of player who I could see this year entering the conversation of top 10, if possibly top five, if a couple of more things go his way. So those two certainly the the one, two, and, you know, something side retired being unanimous likely means it's a very, very concrete and fundamental aspect of baseball. So all of us here having that as your one, two should be a pretty strong indication that's the way it should go on your list as well. Julio Rodriguez, also the guy we probably thought could have been the, you know, cover boy on MLB The Show 23. Obviously, if you haven't seen that yet, Jazz Chisholm is the guy that they ended up picking. Nico, I'll come to you about this second tier of guys. When you think about it, there's Michael Harris, there's Brian Reynolds, Luis Robert, Byron Buxton, Brandon Nimmo. On your list, you decided to go with Byron Buxton as the number three. So tell us sort of why you thought he's above the others. Yeah, really just my thing about Byron Buxton is just his undeniable talent when he's on the field. I think that there isn't one person who thinks that Byron Buxton doesn't have the tools to be in that top three echelon, but I think that he just hasn't been on the field. And I think, again, his 162 game averages from the last two years are insane. This year, he was average, if he was projected to go 162 games with 49 home runs, I think if he played 130 games, 120 games and gets to... 38 home runs. I think no one's arguing that he's the third best center fielder. So I think just his talent is undeniable. And I think if he can get to 120, 130 games and put up the production he's had the last two years, I think he sits firmly in that three spot. And then Jack will come to you to talk about your number three, who is Michael Harris thought process on him. The rookies shined well last year. I thought he certainly shined well offensively kind of comparable numbers to, to that of Brandon Nemo. Um, and, and, and J-Rod, um, two of the guys who we said are kind of the clear cut. And on top of that, I think, you know, you Harris, you can even make a case is closer to J-Rod than he is the number four guy. Um, this Nimbo, um, certainly a debate to be had there. Harris, you know, he also provides value with not only his bat, but he was third among all center fielders and outs above average despite playing um, 100 and 300 less innings than the one two respectively. So certainly a lot there to, to like. Um, about his glove and, you know, certainly, um, you know, the, of all around holistic aspect is he also provides speed, you know, look at um, weighting stats like Woba. Um, when you look at the like, contact, they'll also factor in sprint speed just because it is common nature. If you're going to look at a projection stat, you should factor in sprint speed just because guys who are faster, like Trey Turner, um, Tim LaCastro, you know, they can also create runs and they can provide value and they'll get on base more frequently because of that added speed advantage. So you, you, when you factor that in, he's also got the speed, he's got the arm strength, the glove, bat, contact power. He's just an overall five-tool player. The Braves have certainly developed another outstanding piece. And, you know, seeing him um, as a part of the organization for years to come is is something to be really, be really proud of and something to really like. And I I would honestly say right now, I might be looking at Michael Harris as a sneaky MVP, NL MVP candidate. And then I'm going to go with my number three is Brandon Nimmo. Is there a little bit of a homer aspect into him being a New York Met? Potentially, however, it's the first season in Nimmo's career that he had a five-win season, five WAR. War, look at that, nice and simple using statistics. Jack, you're going to like that. He led the league in triples. There's an old-school stat for Nico and for James. Brandon Nimmo really put it together in 2022. 
His center field defense went up off the charts, and obviously as a result, Steve Cohen rewarded him with a big, fat seven-year, $160 million contract. Nimmo is now going to be the face of the Mets for years to come, and deservedly so. He's since breaking into the league in 2017. He's the sixth highest on-base percentage over the last six, I believe that is, seasons. So Monimo is the stereotypical leadoff hitter. He gets on base. He's thriving in New York. Future captain of the New York Mets saying that right now, right here on this podcast. Everyone says it's Pete. Some people say it's Lindor. I'm saying it right now. Lock it down. February 6th, onside retired. Brandon Nimmo will be the next captain of the New York Mets. And he's my number three center fielder in baseball. Look at that. Nico's shaking his head. Face of the Mets? He's like the I, eighth most known person there. I'm <laughs> telling you, Brandon Nimmo by the end of this season is going to be undoubtedly the face of the Mets. I'm willing to... I can't even spell his name right. You're expecting me to say he's going to be the face <laughs> of the Mets. Uh, then a couple other names that are in this middle tier. Nico, your next highest guy was Luis Robert that you had pretty high on your list at number six. You want to tell us through why you had the slugger as your sixth center fielder? Again, it seems like I'm just in love with talent, but I think Luis Robert is just a physical specimen. I think he really showed in 2021 what he can do and what his ceiling could be. And I think that um, if he just is able to replicate that over a long stretch and period of time, I think his he has the tools to be up there with the best of them. And I think that his athleticism is just too hard and too good to deny. So I think if he gets 120 games in, 130, 140 games in, I think he'll be able to figure it out with his tools and he'll be regarded as a top six, top five, maybe even a top four center fielder. And then Jack, I'll loop these two guys together for you since one is a current New York Yankee and one is a guy that you've been trying to get on the New York Yankees for a year plus now, and that is Brian Reynolds and Harrison Bader. You had Reynolds at six. Bader at seven, really different players. Bader known for his defense. However, this postseason went absolutely off. And Reynolds is your stereotypical, really solid center fielder through and through for the past couple of seasons. How did you figure out how to put these guys on your list? Reynolds is kind of like, you know, I think I briefly mentioned this um, either before air or on air. He just kind of rounds out that top six, I think, is the clear six best. And then Bader is kind of where you get more debate, kind of more projection, projecting, kind of like going off personal interpretation. Um, Reynolds, he's came off his 2021 was a monstrous offensive campaign, then kind of regressed more towards the mean and is projected kind of the lean more so towards the type of player he was this past year with some improved defense. So he had a 125 WRC plus identical to what he's projected. And then, you know, with slight improvements of defense last year, he had a 2.9 war. He's projected to be about a four war player. So very, you know, um, borderline all-star candidate certainly uh, is going to be a huge piece for the Pirates barring any kind of trade. He did request to be moved, so it's kind of interesting to see how that's going to be met. You know, the Pirates have been very firm in their demand, saying, um, you know, they're demanding a Juan Soto-type package. I think just given that they're not even – that they're willing to pay him like what Sean Murphy is, they know he's not worth a Sean, uh, Sean Murphy, a Juan Soto-type, uh, you know, extension or a package of that caliber, but just – you know, they're they're exploring the trade market, quote unquote, by saying, yeah, if you give us your top five prospects like the the Nationals got for, for Soto, we'll give you Reynolds. There really doesn't seem to be much of an inclination there to move him in any kind of, you know, in immediate fashion, probably at least minimum a year away from that. If the Pirates do decide to move on from him, then on Bader's side, you know, the elite defense, probably the best of anyone on this list, then kind of the offensive profile is a bit more um, up for grabs. You know, he did. Um, you know, his offense wasn't as good in the regular season, kind of being overshadowed by that monstrous postseason in which he was Barry Bonds, homer five, homer five times in just a short number of games. 
So just kind of put the Yankees on his back. He was well below average though in the regular season. Um, he projects to be significantly better though. I think that's partially due to like this home run or nothing approach. He doesn't walk much. He strikes out a lot, but he can hit home runs at a high rate just because he that's what he, he focuses on. You saw that for a very brief and concentrated period of time in the playoffs. He barrels the ball well, and he can get a hold of one very easily. It's just a matter of what's he going to do in between that. Likely not much. Not going to get on base very often. He might steal some bases for you, which is you know another way he can provide that value. But mainly the glove, the base bat, the occasional occasional long ball is going to be what you're going to be getting. Is going to be what the Yankees are getting from Bader, and you know it warranted for me seventh place finish. Just also seeing like how he put that together in the playoffs. And I think he's talked about on Emily Network how he wants to see that home run rate even increase more. So I think he can he can have the power to reciprocate his 2019 season in which he went off. Um, you know, those two years he had less games played, more so homers. The the injury concern is also there uh, for a reason why to keep him out of that top six. But you know, an increase in home run power plus the the consistent elite defense is definitely why Bader's been you know like a consistent top ten center fielder. And then I will also mention the last guy that all three of us had on our three list and all the lists that were submitted by our listeners. And again, you can submit your own list at Side Retired Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. Cedric Mullins was a guy that each of us, and I went back and checked, Jack, that me, you, and James all had him inside our top five last year. Some of us even as high as number three on our list. But now looking back, he didn't disappoint in 2022, but it was not a repeat of his 2021 season. It does go to show you that there are times where we will over-evaluate and over I don't know what the right word is here. It's sort of say that a player is better than he actually is based on one really exciting season. Mullins, not to confuse him, is a really solid baseball player in general, but I think he fits more into this bottom tier where we have him in the seven to nine range versus last year where we put him in the three through five. Nico, there is another player that is on your list. Mike Yastrzemski, tell us about the right fielder now turned center fielder for the Giants. Yeah, I think Mike Yastrzemski is really just starting to have the adjustment to center field. I think that the big question with him is, can he replicate his 2019 and 2020 seasons? Um, really has seen a regression in 2021 and 2022. And I think a lot of the people in the bottom tier, it's kind of just a question of, is a good defender with a 720 OPS enough? And I think that Mike Yastrzemski has the ability to, has the potential to go to a 750, 760 OPS. And I think, with his defense being above average to average and him having a 750 OPS that could put him really smack dab in like that eight to 10 range. And I think that he can sit comfortably at that 10 spot. Jack, in a nutshell, I'll come to you quickly. Dylan Carlson was your number 10. Is that more sort of a using your 10 spot as a projection or do you think his 2022 alone was good enough to get him a top 10 spot? Probably more so a combination of both, you know, Carlson. Um, he's coming across, he's part of that elite defensive front in St. Louis. Uh, on top of that, he did provide some steady offense, you know, 115 WRC plus. Um, like you said, it kind of is a more so a, pro a projection. I think he he projects even fairly well kind of to re uh, reciprocate uh, what he just did this past year. Um, I think he has, you know, a bat to be to be above league average. And then on top of that, a solid glove. So there is the strong tools there. Um, this is a rather, you know, um, a top heavy position where you see several guys who are elite you know, uh, top of the league players, all stars, and then you kind of falls off a cliff in the latter half. So it, it is, I know, um, but I would say overall, he kind of warrant if you were going to rank the top 10 defensive or not defensive, just overall center field performances from this past year, whether Dylan Carlson is warranted 
you know, a spot on the list, I think, is more so up for debate. But, you know, just looking at his projections, uh, you know, a 115 WRC plus, uh, a near three war player, walks about 10% of the time, you know, a, a Woba it, close to 330. I think that overall just those components together can uh, can uh, collectively form a, a top 10 center fielder, especially if, you know, um, around a Cardinals team that I think is continuing to add offensive pieces and is going to be reliant on that offense instead of their pitching staff. He's certainly going to be a huge contributor um, and even on not on just on the run production side, but the run reduction as they're trying to, you know, to maximize defense in terms of, you know, uh, making up for lackluster starting pitching. And then I would also like to notice, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, we mm-hmm. considered Jazz Chisholm as a second baseman. If you want to go and hear our analysis on Jazz Chisholm, go back down. You'll see our second base episode. Pretty sure most of us had us in that five to seven range. So definitely check out Jazz if you want more on that. We have covered every player inside of our three top 10 list except for one and that's the guy that the only former mvp on this list other than mike trout and that is indeed cody ballinger i'll go to you guys first because you're obviously the cons on ballinger neither of you ranking him inside his top 10 and there are cons if jack as you mentioned going based on 2022 stats alone belly doesn't have a shot at this list if you go to his past two seasons combined He is an OPS plus of 64, which is half of league average, including a 2021 season where he somehow played 100 games. Don't get me wrong. So this isn't like a small sample size. 100 games and the OPS plus, Jack, you want to take a guess? 60. 44. He played 100 games as the Dodgers starting center fielder with a 44 OPS plus, which is half less. Sorry, more less than half, more than half. I don't know. Trevor, you want to look at that less than half of what a league average baseball player is. Was there any thought towards putting Cody Ballinger in your top 10? If there would be anything, and if he was very good defensively, I'll note that overall. And, you know, he does provide versatility. I know that's not really the focus of us in our top 10 center fielders list, but something of note. Um, the Cubs, you know, they paid him, uh, I believe, $19 million or $18 million. So they certainly hope to see some kind of uh, production, you know, overall he projects to be about league average, which, you know, uh, offensively kind of below league average, um, you know, him and Christian Yelich are kind of going to be, I assume a future 30 for 30, just because like their career trajectories have coincided so nicely where they had those MVP S seasons, 18, 19, and then both just fell off a cliff. Um, Bellinger, not so much in 2020, he was still good. But as you mentioned, the past two years, he's been abysmal offensively. Um, you know, he was though something of note. He actually was a positive, despite being a pretty poor offensive player. He was a plus war candidate this year. He, he accumulated over one war, one point seven. So you know, about eight million per war. You know, he, that warrants about you know, um, you know, a little less than a good, little bit less than what he's uh supposed to make in this next year. You know, uh, about like fourteen million dollars. So he just has to improve marginally on uh, what he did this past year to be worth that $18 million contract. But whether or not he's going to crack the top 10 center fielders list, I think is kind of hard when you you mentioned, we've talked about several um, plus plus guys, plus um, someone like Luis Robert. Um, it's going to be it's gonna be very tough for for Belly. And if he wants to kind of crack back to that that elite, he's got to reverse both his walk and strikeout trends to begin with. Just, um, you know, after 20, 2020, he, his strikeout rate jumped by 10% and his walk rate uh, decreased by 4 and 5% in the, in the respective year. So those certainly need to be uh, reverse trends. And on top of that, he's just not hitting the ball 
consistently hard anymore like he used to. Nico, your thoughts on Cody? I spent like 30 minutes trying to put him on my list. Like I really wanted to just believe that him going to the Cubs was just going to be like, he was going to be the third batter and he was just going to pelt balls into the IV and have a million. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. It was, it was sad. He just, I don't see what, how he improves the, the simple reason. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about teams like the Milwaukee Brewers who have Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff and Frey Peralta, all three for different reasons, just play terribly for Cody Bellinger, Corbin Burns because he's Corbin Burns. Woodruff and Frey Peralta like to play up in the zone with their fastball, and that does not bode well for Bellinger. I mean, the, the Reds seem to have a very improved, a lot of potential in their starting pitching. I mean, Nick Lodolo, by everyone, seems to have a, a monster year next year projecting. Um, Hunter Green likes to play at the top of the zone with his hard fastball. Tyler Mali has a very spin-efficient fastball that likes to play at the top of the zone. Um, Pittsburgh Pirates, I mean, they're the Pittsburgh Pirates, but so are the Rockies are the Rockies, so you can just call those a wash. And then I, I just don't see how he improves. I, I mean, the Cardinals are also a very good baseball team. I don't see how he has a, a the NL Central bounce back year. I just don't see it. So I'm the only Cody to Bellinger defender. I had him as my number eight. And my biggest question is, where does it go? The thing with Yelich, and I know the comparison is easy to make Bellinger and Yelich, Yelich rebounded in 2022 to become a serviceable baseball player again to the point that we all had him on our top 10 list again, I believe somewhere in the seven to nine range, which is exactly where I have Ballinger here. So it is a little bit of projecting forward because when you look at Ballinger in 2019, he was in the top nine or he was in the 99th percentile for X batting average. Fast forward to 2022 and he's in the bottom six percentage. Where does that like go? Like you don't just naturally forget how to hit. You could argue it's the league is adjusting to him. But now this is where he's going to a new coaching staff. He's going to the Cubs, who developed a lot of young hitters, such as Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Schwarber. So maybe he just needed this fresh eye of hitting coaches to say, let's watch a ton of 2019 Cody Ballinger, and let's figure out what is happening. He keeps tweaking his batting stance. I know everyone points that out. Time to get him back to 2019. David Ross, who's his manager, is a former player knows what it's like to go through struggles and slumps in the biggest markets of the world. He was a Cub. He was a Red Sox. Cody Ballinger was a Dodger, now obviously coming to the Cubs. As Jack, you mentioned, he once led the league in walk percentage uh, in 2019. He was at 14.4%. Now he's literally half that at 6.9%. Cody Ballinger needs to rebound. But there is optimism, and it's time to throw out a bold prediction because obviously we need bold predictions when it comes to side retired. In the history of the Chicago Cubs franchise, and of course, this is one of the most iconic franchises in sports history. I think the Cubs, for better or for worse, they've been around over 100 years. Well, we know for sure over 100 years because they didn't go win in World Series for 100 years. But in that illustrious 115-year history, only one left-handed hitter in Cubs history has had a 40-home run season. That was, of course, the great Hall of Famer, Billy Williams. Cody Ballinger has basically two 40 home run seasons in his career. He had 39 his rookie season, and then in his amazing 2019 season, he hit 47. So it's time to go out there on a limb and say that here in 2023, the Cubs will finally have their second 40 home run season from a left-handed hitter, and Cody Ballinger will hit 40 home runs in the 2023 season. Bang. Am I that crazy? Cody yeah. Bellinger hits 40 home runs. I'll go naked streaking across the park. Perfect. It's, it's on a podcast. There we go. Cody Bellinger's 40 home run season. 
lock it in. Of course, we now will appreciate all the lists that everyone has sent in. We'll quickly go through the rake or shake or rake or take, rake or shake, whatever. We'll go with rake or shake on today's edition. I will give you a take from our listeners and you need to determine whether you're going to rake and think it's a good idea or shake. Rapid fire will go with our regular co-host James Tausig says that Alec Thomas is a top 10 center fielder in baseball. Jack will come to you first, rake or shake. Uh, Shake, he performed pretty bad last year. I believe it's 77 WRC plus, so not really much to look forward there. Offensively, um, you know, um, not really understanding the pick from Mr. Tausig. Um, kind of hard to to reason. He, I don't think he's but cracks the top 10 over any of the guys I have previously mentioned. Nico, I got a shake as well. I think if he does get there offensively, I think that's going to be in two, three, four years down the line, but. I, I don't see him at least next year being a top 10 outfielder. Our mystery man, David Halpert, says that both Randall Gritchick and Lane Thomas are top 10 center fielders in baseball. Jack. Uh, I'm going to go shake Randall Gritchick and Lane Thomas. Um, you know, kind of pretty rough seasons all around from those two. I, I'm not really yet to ready to say they're, uh, they're cracking my top 10. I didn't even consider either of them, Nico. I'm going to be honest, I didn't know that they, either of them were on the list. I, I kind of just skimmed through it. I was like, oh, who are the guys that realistically be in the top 10? I think I think top 18 is more of a, a meaning, like more of an argument to see if they're maybe crack the top 18, but I don't know about top 10. Lane Thomas, since becoming a Washington National, has a OPS plus of 111. So he is a league better than average hitter. I don't know if he's cracking the top 10, but an interesting take there from David. Last one, Henry Kalani says that Chaz McCormick is a top 10 center fielder in baseball. He was also ranked in MLB Network's top 10 center fielders in baseball. Jack. Uh, you know, kind of harder to crack out of MLB Network. I've come to grips with lots of their, and I assume lots of their lists are done to generate reactions out of passionate fans like myself. I'm not kind of as egregious as the other two. I put together a solid campaign, a two-war season, 114 WRC plus um, walked at an 11% clip. So still he's got some of the, the better tools as a more um, intelligent pick than some of the previous ones. But I, I still, you know, the kind of the tools um, and the overall, like the defense combined with the better offense or some of these other guys, I think have more of a, um, a better foundation, more, you know, more complete package to, to complete the, and be in contendency for this list. But I think, you know, McCormick, he does, um, he does provide consistent offense, which I think will will carry over to the next year if he can and improve and have some kind of some regression or some like sway in his uh, his defensive metrics. He might have uh, more of a case to, to crack the top ten. And then Nico, I'll come to you with this very final question of: Here's a list of potential breakout candidates. If you see any of these guys potentially being top ten center fielders a year from now and in the future, we've got JJ Blade of the Marlins. We have Jared Kelnick of the Seattle Mariners. Jose Siri of the Tampa Bay Rays and Brandon Marsh of the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, I don't know if it's a Miami bias, but I really enjoyed JJ Bleday. I think that he, from watching a lot of the Marlins games, I really saw some spreads where he showed that he has the potential to be a top 10 center fielder. And it's just a turn, um, putting those together for a consistent span. But I think that from the ceiling perspective, I definitely think JJ Bleday could grow into a player that's way into the top 10. So he's probably the most interesting player to me. I think that with Phil, the only thing that kills him is that the fact that the Mets decided to buy every single pitcher in the major leagues. But 
other than that, I think if he's able to put those performances that some Marlins fans see him have consistently, if he can put those across a 162-game season, I think he can definitely be in the top 10. In the start of 2023 here at Side Retired, I am officially off the Jared Kelnick bandwagon. It has taken me two years of awfulness, including putting him in my top 10 last year. Jared Kelnick is not a top 10 center fielder in baseball. Never has been, never will be. I'll admit defeat on that one. Alrighty, so we do have a couple exciting episodes coming up in the future, upcoming days. If you haven't checked out our interview with Notre Dame head coach Sean Stifler, definitely check that one out, as well as if you haven't checked out our newest episode with Georgetown baseball head coach Edwin Thompson, check that one out as well. But for Dylan, Jack, and Nico, until the next time the side is retired.